0: Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode. What are you willing to lose for a connected life? For anyone who has lost their way in the online world, digital detox expert Tanya Gooden offers a tech versus life toolkit to deal with the escalating consequences of strange new norms and harmful habits. Whether you are dealing with a partner who's mindlessly scrolling rather than listening to you, flooding social media with your child's image or panicking whenever you misplace your phone, learn how to recognize and label dependent behaviors, both for yourself and others, and find simple, easy solution in this very inspiring and very useful and very much needed episode. I think you're going to love this episode, and it's I think most of us need it right now. So let's get right into it. Hi, Tanya, and welcome back. I'm so excited to have
1: you. Oh, it's lovely to be back again. It's really great to be talking to you.
0: Thank you. It's been a while, but after the last couple of years, I feel a lot of us have been glued to our phones more than ever. And also you have, since we spoke last time, come up with a new book, which uh, the title spoke very well to me, uh, which is for, for the listeners, my brain has too many tabs open and how to untangle our relationship with tech. And I feel like it was kind of a perfect timing. I'm assuming you didn't really know much what was happening when did it actually come out 2021
1: yeah I actually wrote it in lockdown so I had to be careful not to refer too much to the pandemic because it's kind of about our universal experience with tech but actually yeah it was an interesting experience for me writing it while a pandemic was raging around us and while of course we were spending even more time on screens than we had done before
0: Yeah, the title. My brain has too many tabs open. Just really feel like even more now when you know I'm in a startup again and with a very small team. So having too many tabs open is a very common thing for me. So let's first dive into why you wrote the book.
1: It's my third book, and my first two books, uh, off and stop staring at screens, were really about how we needed to take breaks from tech. And with this book, I actually wanted to do something different because what I wanted to do was say. Let's think about the way in which we're using tech. Because so, I felt I'd said enough about, you know, we do need to take breaks from time to time. What I wanted to say was, well, how are we using it? And how has technology changed our relationships, our relationships with ourselves, our relationship with others, our relationships with work? And I've always been very kind of research and evidence based, and so much more research had come out about how we were using tech and how that might be impacting us in our work lives, in our personal lives. And the other thing was, I had this incredible collection of stories of people that I'd worked with over the past, it's really been a decade since I've been doing this. And they'd stayed with me, people who I'd met who told me about the struggles they'd had with tech in all sorts of walks of life. So I wanted to write their stories, and I wanted to use them as a kind of springboard to saying to people, look, this is the problem this particular person had, but let's look at the kind of universal implications of that, and then what can we do about it? So it's very practical. It's not just kind of admiring the problem. I'm hoping within each sort of section to give people really practical, solid advice.
0: Absolutely. It's fantastic. I just love the question on the back of your book. What are you willing to lose for a connected life? Talk us through the consequences of our kind of bad device habits. When I say bad, I mean in terms of things that are actually not great for our relationships.
1: Yeah, well, I I mean, I actually start the book with the story that stayed with me the longest, which is a little nine-year-old girl. I was talking to a group of children. I do a lot of talks in schools as well as talks in kind of corporates. And this nine-year-old girl put her hand up and said, can you help me? Because when I try and talk to my mum when she's on her phone, it's like she's in a bubble. And I can't get through that bubble. I can't get her attention. I remember having a lump in my throat as I was listening to her because she was so earnest about it. And she was so sure that I was going to give her the magic answer of what to do to get her mother's attention. And actually, a recent piece of research said that 50% of UK children say they want their parents to use their phones less. So I kind of start with that as a big kind of flag to all of us who are parents, that actually they are saying to us, we want your attention. You're spending too much time on these devices when we need you. So when I talk about what we're willing to lose... Obviously, I talk about couples, I talk about, you know, a couple that I've dealt with as well, who both independently told me the other one was spending too much time on their phone. It was hilarious, actually. They were both entrepreneurs running a business together, they'd invited me in to talk to their team. and the wife took me on one side at the beginning and said could you say something about you know using your phone at night when you're with your partner and then the husband afterwards said i'm so glad you said that because she has this terrible problem so hilarious you know they were both feeling that the other person was ignoring them so i think for me you know one of the big things we're losing is the quality and depth of our relationships and you know as i always share when i talk to people you know, the one thing that predicts our longevity, our the strength of our immune system, you know, the our ability to cope with diseases is actually the quality of our close personal relationships. It's not our diet, it's not how much we exercise, it's how connected we are. There's warnings in all of us that actually we're storing up problems for the future if we're not really investing in those really important relationships.
0: Absolutely. In my personal growth club, I have this book club and we just read another great book called Let Go. And there was a chapter where the author is Shufon Cullenberg and he shared how he was in the park and he got a little bit bored and went on his phone. And then his mum was observing that and saying that she felt sorry for all the parents because there's so many things that they're missing out on. So what tips do you have for Parents that may not even be aware of what they're doing in terms of missing out, because I think we all struggle with this, you know, more or less. And I'm not sitting here saying my technology is perfect, because certainly not, but I'm definitely very aware. And, you know, when you see people in the parks and you see people. Even like when we're out, you know, eating dinners or breakfast or uh, and you see even kids be on screens like while you're having a meal together, you know, when they're like two years old, which kind of breaks my heart. But what kind of tips do you have for parents when they don't realize what they're doing or missing out on?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really easy, isn't it, to see it in other people. I think that's actually one of the big motivators for writing this book that I felt that we were all very good at pointing out all these habits in other people and not looking at ourselves so I think I think the first thing is that we have to really look at ourselves and also you know if you're a parent and again this applies in a you know if you're in a relationship I think have the conversation I think that's the first thing to do is to talk about how do we all feel you know as a family how do we feel as a couple you know, even ask your children that that little girl was nine. I've had younger children than that say, you know, when I asked them in a class when I'm speaking to, you know, even six year olds, how many of you, you know, think your parents are on their phones too much, you know, the raft of hands go up. So even at quite young ages, they can articulate that. So I would say, talk to your children, talk to your partners, talk to your family. You know, it's one of the stories where I actually say, this is a problem I had. Somebody had to say to me, and it was about 10 years before the conversation I had with this little girl, your daughter says that when you get home from work, you're spending a bit too much time on your phone. And that was such a shock for me. That was one of my big kind of wake up calls because I had no idea. So I would say, you know, have those conversations. And then I think it's going to sound really simple, but It's very difficult to ignore a device when it's in your hand or when it's about your person, when it's in a pocket. Even if you think you're putting it away, you're putting it in your pocket, you're not putting it on the dinner table. They're seductive devices. They're billion dollar devices industries behind making sure we keep picking them up and checking them so actually the simplest thing you can do is to put it in a different room when you're with your kids and to maybe say I'm going to make sure when they come home from school you know as they're they're all now going out to school again or you know for a certain time of the weekend my phone's actually going to be separate from me because it's actually incredibly difficult to resist them when they're in your hand so I would say yeah those two things that have the conversation, get everybody to talk about it, and then think of your your phone when you come in the door for at least a period of time, a bit like a landline. Think, I'm going to put it in one location and then I'm going to walk away from it. And you'd be amazed how much easier that makes it then for you to kind of really focus on your family or your children. But walking around with it still in your hand, the temptation to keep checking it, surreptitiously scroll under the table you know, pop to the loo. I've had so many people say to me, oh, I keep it in my pocket. And then I say, I'm just going to the loo and I quickly check my emails. You know, we're all aware that everybody's doing that. So I think the untethering is probably a really good tip for parents.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I find that too. Cause I actually can't have it. I sometimes, if no one is around when I cook dinner, I listen to a podcast or an audio book, but if they're around, I need to put it away because it's also so easy just to say, I'm just going to do one more thing. Yeah, exactly. yeah,
1: And it's a bit like, I can't remember if I said this to you before last time we spoke, but I always use the analogy of a chocolate bar and say, if you're going to eat healthily, you wouldn't walk around holding a bar of chocolate and just sort of rely on self-control to not eat it, you know. We're actually, as human animals, you know, our self-control is quite low. We have to design our environment to make our habits easier for us. You know, there's a whole industry, you know, about healthy habits. And a lot of them talk about you have to design the environment you want for the habit because our behaviour, we're quite lazy, we look for the easy option, we look for the quick way out. So if you're designing your habit at home, you're designing your environment around setting limits around your smartphone actually putting it in one location so you can walk away from it is a really good way of getting your you know environment working to support your habit
0: absolutely and I think sometimes we actually just are not even aware that we you know I find myself often just trying to do something quickly, and then all of a sudden I'm there <laughs> scrolling Instagram or something that I did not have the attention. I think sometimes it just goes on automatic. So that's something I try to do at night as well. Not perfect at it, that's for sure, but it's wow, none one, of it us are. Yeah. I
1: don't think any of us are. Yeah. Another thing you
0: bring up in your book is news and obviously fake news. So that's one thing that I have been very focused on for probably the last 10 years even you know before it was like an addiction on the phone because I go and look for news with intention versus just having it fed to me because I just I don't know what to believe first and also I don't want that cortisol in my body and that kind of addiction so I know that I'm I, and obviously, certain times, like Ukraine just happened. Obviously, I was, you know, the whole that day, I was on the news all day. So, you know, there's definitely times where I go back. But for anyone who is addicted to the news, any tips on how to do that when you actually want to be aware of what's happening but not be addicted to it?
1: Yeah, so I think the way the online environment works is that it rewards outrage, it rewards, you know, the worst possible stories. So those are the ones that we see in our news feeds, we see the most outrageous, the most shocking, the most horrifying stuff. And actually, viewing that 24 seven is so unhealthy. I I actually know quite a lot of journalists who work in this kind of area professionally, and they have to take breaks, you can't go report on a war and do it nonstop, you have to take a break from it. You know, the trauma is just kind of too much. And I think we're in danger of traumatising ourselves because we're not treating ourselves like that. We're thinking, oh, you know, we need, we need to have all this information all the time. I would say to everyone, you know, you've got to set a boundary around when you check the news. I was saying to someone the other day, you know, when I grew up, we watched the six o'clock news. I remember that. I don't know when the main bulletin was in Australia, but ours was six o'clock then the one at 10 o'clock, I think. And 10 o'clock was always a little bit late for a school night. So we, we'd watch the six o'clock news and then that would be it. There'd be no news for the rest of the day, you know, unless you picked up a newspaper. So we have to try and, you know, create that environment a little bit that we are informed, but we don't respond to every breaking news story. Because also there's a limit of what we can do. You know, we can't actually act on some of this stuff and it sounds you know very kind of unfeeling and uncaring and i don't mean it to sound like that at all you know with i totally agree with you the war in ukraine i was absolutely glued to that and still am watching stuff probably more than i should be but actually i think you know again people around us suffer our work suffers, our sleep suffers. If you think about self-care and how important self-care is and how important, you know, kind of preserving our mental health is, making sure we're not getting an absolute barrage of that is really important. So set times, say to yourself, maybe I'm going to look in the morning, I'm going to look at lunchtime, you know, I might look in the evening, and then actually make a distinct effort to move away from it. The other thing I suggest in the book is There are lots of lovely websites and social media feeds set up at the moment that are all around good news. It's really difficult sometimes to think that the world is anything other than full of awful trauma and crisis. And there are organisations who are making it their business to say, actually, this is some good stuff that's happening. So if you want to kind of balance out some of the kind of negativity, I would say follow some of those accounts and be reminded about all the people that are doing amazing things, all the people that are doing good, all the good things that are happening in the world, because it is still happening. The danger is that we're just spending too much time, as I said, sucked into this kind of negative news, because that's the way the online news cycle works.
0: I could not agree more with the frequency and the horror and and actually finding some really good news, because there's so many amazing things that's happening every single day and you know with the refugees that are coming from ukraine at the moment you, someone was asking for children's book there's just so many beautiful things that you know what the community is doing to support this so i agree and, and i actually grew up in sweden not australia and we used to watch it at 7 30 pm i think it was very conservative in sweden <laughs> So yeah, having that because I I don't do it and when I do it, it's just awful and I can only imagine how you would feel if you're doing this on a daily basis. Just cannot be good for you. And the cortisol and all that stuff that comes with it, just not great. So that's a good tip. Another thing that comes up frequently in my personal growth club is addiction that our kids have on their phones. So obviously the last two years, especially this side of the world where lockdown was really long, our kids spent so much more time time on their devices and no time in real life and it was bad before but I think it's just getting worse now and when I pick up my kids from school I always watch the kids and as soon as they go out of the school gate everyone's looking down on their phones which is kind of fair enough I guess if they've been without it for a whole day but I just wanted to see if you can give us some tips because this comes up all the time and quite a few teachers and the head of schools is in the group. So it'd be really interesting to see what do we do because it's became such a part of every day when we perhaps didn't control it the same way and also when they were studying from home.
1: Yeah, I've talked to so many people about this. We've got to kind of put the last two years to one side and say, look, that's the way we all got through it. That's what they had to do. They, you know, they were isolated from their friends. They had to spend the time online to connect. They had to spend the time online to be educated, you know, if they were doing their lessons that way. But we need to now say that was then and this is now. And again, you know, I do use the food analogy a lot because, you know, food is good for us and it's healthy, but there are some types of food we don't want to eat too much of. You know, when we've all eaten too much over Christmas, we do tend to have a bit of a kind of drawing in again of our belts you know metaphorically and physically in January where we say right actually we need to eat healthily so I think again it's a conversation to have as a family you know what do we think about our kind of tech habits and do we want to do anything differently having said that I think you have to be really careful particularly with older children to not make it too much about the screen. I think the minute you say put that screen down or put that phone away or you know put that games console down, you've kind of lost them. So you have to make it not about the device. So my advice would be to try and think of the activities that they can now do that they maybe couldn't do during the last two years that they really enjoy doing. That they can't physically have a phone with. So swimming's my favorite <laughs> example of that. But there are plenty of other sport, art, bike rides, whatever, you know, all the stuff they physically couldn't do. And I would just try and get them involved in those activities and they will work out for themselves that they can't take their devices with them while they're doing that. And kind of retrain them, re-educate them. You know, we need to do this ourselves as well, because I've had adults saying to me, You know, I'm actually spending just as much time on my device, even though the lockdown is over. So I think it's about kind of reminding them of the stuff that they enjoy that doesn't involve a device. But, you know, I think it's a family conversation. And if you have that conversation with your kids, you've got to be prepared that they say, well, if you want me to put it down, you have to do it too. That can be really difficult for parents. I've had parents, you know, come up to me and say, you know, but my daughter just doesn't understand. I have to use my phone for work email or I have to do this. And I say, children copy what we do, not what we say. So if they see us picking up our phones every five minutes, the minute we sit down waiting for something, taking our phones out of our pockets, they're going to do that too, regardless of what we're saying. So we have to be really careful that we're modelling the right behaviour and not pointing the fingers just at them. So, you know, if we open up that conversation, we've got to be prepared to hear what they say. But I would say, you know, try and get them involved in stuff that you know they love doing, that they can't take their devices with them. You know, younger kids love cooking, don't they? You know, let's make some pizzas together, all that kind of stuff. Older kids going to the beach, swimming, cycling, stuff that isn't about being on their device, you know, I I think we've got to be really careful not to blame them for the fact that they're doing something that was the only thing they could do for the last two years. We've got to make them not feel bad about that and just say, come on, you know, let's think about all the stuff we can do now, the world's opening up again.
0: Yeah, we have sometimes screen-free days and it's amazing what creativity comes out of them and it's so easy if you let them be on the screens for too much that they actually don't feel, really feel like doing anything else but it's so valuable and also going out in nature and actually having it's okay sometimes to not to document every photo even if you see the most beautiful view you don't always have to have the phone with you.
1: Yeah, there's actually some research, I can't remember if I share it in this book or one of the others, that says we actually remember things less well when we photograph them, which is really interesting. So all our kind of obsessive documentation, you know, with our phones where we're photographing everything is actually probably detracting from the experience of really enjoying it.
0: So one thing that I find really frustrating, and I don't think I'm alone, is where friends have their phones with them and they have their notification on I, I don't have a notification especially not with sounds I think that's become less because I think people getting more aware but not everyone and also checking their phone the whole time it just drives me up <laughs> the wall how do we deal with that because obviously you know you don't want to become their parent but also it's kind of rude it's been so normalized now but if you had a visitor you would never if you were on the landline to go and sit and talk to someone you know it's a different thing of course but I just feel like that. feel like that. That's something that, uh, you know, kids definitely
1: do it, but uh, but grown-ups do it as well. It's actually called fubbing. So it's a combination of phone and snubbing when we snub someone with our phone. I think I talk about, you know, that happening to me so many times. I had one friend who had two phones, one for work and one for home. And when I went out for a drink with her, she would constantly be picking one up, going, sorry, sorry, just need, no, sorry, sorry, I'm just... One of the things I suggest in the book is that you just make it clear from our behaviour what kind of boundary we're drawing. So I used to stop talking. The minute she picked her phone up, I would just stop. And she would say, Oh, no, no, carry on, carry on while I'm checking. And I'd say, no, it's fine. I'll wait. And that in itself was amazingly powerful, because we've all got into the habit, I think of talking while people are checking. So we know that we've only got a third of their attention, they know they're only giving us a third of attention. And we both play this little game that we think it's all okay. (laughs) So I think if you just kind of smile and say, no, it's fine, I'll wait, they'll stop doing it. And I, I have found that I've managed to nudge people into doing that. But the other thing I do is for a long time now, I've always had my phone away when I'm with other people. So I have a rule that's no phones when I'm one to one with anyone. So it's always out of sight. I don't have it on the table. It's always completely away. And I never told people that that's what I was doing, but I noticed over time that more and more of them started to copy me because I didn't have my phone out. They would put theirs away. They'd actually say, oh, yes, I must put my phone away because they'd look on the table and realise mine wasn't there. So I think, you know, again, it's about modelling behaviour and it is actually quite contagious, our behaviour around phones. So if we think it's okay to pick our phones up and check, other people start doing that. But actually it does work in reverse. That if people are with us and they notice we don't have our phones with us, they also start doing that too. With some people, it might take a while <laughs> before they gotten on. But I would say without ever saying it, nearly everyone in my life now doesn't have their phone out when they're with me because they've kind of picked up on the fact that I don't do that. Of course, it might, Christina also be to do the fact that I've written three books on it
0: <laughs> yes I have a feeling that might be but it's really good also it could be a good thing to just you know when you go out with someone and just say let's just have a tech-free night to, to kind of both be present, so you don't just put it on that person but also on yourself as well so
1: yeah I don't know if it ever spread to Australia there was a trend before the pandemic of people phone stacking their phones in the middle of a table And then the first person that touched their phone had to pay for the bill. I mean, everyone was sort of talking about this in London a few years ago. And I remember thinking, what a ridiculous idea, because you're putting this device that's got all these, you know, seductive buzzers right in front of you. It's like literally sitting with a pile of chocolate, isn't it, if you're trying to eat healthily and trying to use your self-control. So I don't know who came up with that idea, but absolutely ridiculous. Do not try that. Put your phone where you can't see it. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's much more tempting if you see it. So let's talk about multi-screening and the title, My Brain Has Too Many Tabs Open. So I'm definitely guilty of this when I'm working. But also, you know, my family is guilty of it, you know, because there's always something to look up or check if there is discussion. So it's like, you know, used to be I don't really know or I'll, you know, I can check later, but it's always like, let me check that. I'm like, no, no, we don't need to check it now. (laughs) So I know that humans cannot multitask. So how do we stop doing this?
1: Yeah, this is something that we've all been seduced into thinking A exists and B that we can do and C, if you're a woman, you think you're particularly good at it. (laughs) So this is a bit depressing. For any women listening to this, that you know, we've been telling ourselves for years we're better at multitasking than men, actually, none of us are any good at it. It just comes down to the same principles that we have to make it difficult to multitask. So, one of my favourite pieces of research that I quote in the book, that seriously, anyone who's heard me speak more than once will be bored with this story, but actually comes from the University of Texas at Austin, where they looked at the fact that If you're trying to work or do something that's quite difficult on a laptop and your smartphone is visible, even if it's only face down and switched off. And let's be honest, how many of us ever switch our smartphones off? We might have them face down, but they're not switched off. It's reducing our IQ by about 10 percentage points. So actually being able to see our smartphone when we're trying to focus on something that's actually quite demanding is actually literally making us dumber. That's what the research proved so we're not always working at that peak focus are we that peak i've got something that's quite challenging and demanding and i really have to focus on it because it needs all of my attention but when we are doing that type of work our smartphones have to be completely out of sight actually the research showed that they have to be in a, a separate room they looked at three different locations one face down and switched off on the table one in the same room as you but invisible so in a drawer or a bag and the third scenario was in a different room and only when the smartphone was in a different room they found the subjects in their research had the same IQ available so if you're doing something that's demanding that's challenging make sure your smartphone is completely out of sight make sure you shut down as many tabs as possible and just focus and some of you will know about the pomodoro method which is about you do that for brief periods of time so we can't do that for 3 hours at a time but we might be able to do that for 10 minutes and then go and do something else. Then, you know, if we want to, go and check our smartphone, look at something else. But I think, you know, it's about, again, creating the environment, creating the habit. If you sit in front of a TV screen with your laptop and your phone. So I was watching this drama last night, quite a complicated spy drama, and the plot was quite kind of convoluted. But I was also on my phone, and I realised I had to stop twice and rewind and go back because I thought I've completely missed what's going on in this... Drama. And I thought, I know why that is. It's because I'm not really paying attention. I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on the screen. So I wasn't enjoying it in the way that I normally would. I was distracted by what was going on on my phone. So if that's okay, if we're happy to have those evenings where we're kind of flitting like a butterfly between one thing and another, that's fine. But we need to be a bit more conscious about it and say, okay, today I'm focusing on something. I, I want to watch this you know, it's something I've really enjoyed, I'm going to completely focus on the last 30 minute episode and put everything away. Or I've got to write this document, it's really important to me that I get it right, I'm going to put my smartphone in a different room. So there are too many tabs, you know, we have to learn how to close down those tabs, and be quite conscious about it. But what I'm not saying in the book, is we have to do that all the time. We need to choose the times at which we're working with our most focus, and make sure those are really working for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have a thing where between nine and ten thirty, I do not check my phone, and I focus on my most important project. And it's it's just it's so great when you actually put the phone away because it's so easy. Because sometimes I, I'll be like, oh, I need to check that, but then I'm like, I just write it down because otherwise, I just know that if I have put my phone next to it, I need to check something. I We'll just go somewhere else. <laughs> it's amazing how much you get done in 90 minutes when you're just completely focused.
1: I think there's a real problem with focus and attention. I mean, it's Cal Newport, isn't it? Who says that, you know, being able to really focus will be a superpower in the 21st century because we're all losing the ability to do that. And, you know, two of my favorite statistics are. The average work email is now opened within six seconds of it being sent. Six seconds. But then it takes 25 minutes to get back into your kind of peak focus. So if we're answering emails or even just opening emails and looking at them or looking at texts or looking at DMs or WhatsApps constantly throughout the day, but it takes us 25 minutes to get back, you know, no wonder we're not actually doing, you know, getting very much work done. Yeah,
0: It's quite crazy. So I didn't know that (laughs) statistic. I wish I kind of didn't. But yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So thank you for sharing that. Let's quickly talk about trolling. I've been very lucky so far, touch wood, but I have seen some trolling obviously online. Most of us have. So how do we deal with those kind of comments and those kind of way of people behaving?
1: You know, it's the sad fact of life online that it happens and it's more likely to happen to you if you're a woman and it's more likely to happen to you if you're a member of a ethnic minority. I would say that the good news is there are more and more tools now that have been introduced by the tech companies to help block persistent trolls. And you know, I was looking at my own block list not that long ago, and I'm thinking, "Oh my God, there's just so many accounts on it." That you know, clearly over the years, this was looking at my Twitter account that I'd blocked for various kind of comments. I would say, don't engage with trolling that is just gratuitously offensive. So if somebody you know posts a comment on something you've written that says, "You know, what the hell would you know about?" or "You're talking rubbish," or those are the comments you absolutely do not engage with. You just ignore. You know, you block if they're persistent. If somebody's genuinely asking you for clarification or saying, you know, I don't believe that piece of research or, you know, what evidence have you got or something, you know, by all means, but be alert to the type of troll or the type of person online that's trying to suck you in and then waste hours of your time, um, which has happened to me. And they're clearly just, you know, trying to cause problems. I think one of the really effective things we can do is we can show support To other people, where we notice they're being trolled. So I think I talk about this in the book that actually I might not have talked about this actually, but it it happened to me. I had a a incident a few years ago where somebody was trolling me quite badly, and I actually had a message from another woman in the industry who sent me a direct message who said, "I can see what's going on. You know, he's done it to me too. You know, this is the best way of dealing with it." And she had commented on his post. So I was thinking about when you notice another woman being harassed in a public place, you might step in or you might go and sit next to them if it's a you know young girl that's having a bit of a problem you might kind of go and start strike up a conversation to make them feel they're not on their own so I think we can do that online with each other I think we can show support I think when people are being attacked and we can see it's for no good reason but you know don't engage don't feed the kind of unfortunately narcissistic and kind of vindictive people that there are sadly online who are just trying to silence you shut you down you know make sure you're not engaging in in debate just completely ignore and block those i think the block tool and the mute tools are some of the best things that have been invented actually online and you need to use them liberally you know the same way that you wouldn't spend time with somebody in real life who was persistently offensive and rude and you know, that's what you need to do with your online life is exactly the same. You do not have to sit and listen to comments that are upsetting or offensive.
0: Some really good advice. I couldn't agree more. I just feel like life is so short. So I sometimes just think, how do people have time to worry so much about other things that they don't agree? I mean, obviously, if it's a something that they feel really passionate about, that's a different thing. But just in terms of that rudeness and yeah, I just don't know. But anyway, that was some really good tips. So thank you for sharing that. For anyone who are like me, and I think you call it in your book, dumb scrolling. So so if we pick up the phone for a specific reason, which I often do, and then an up on a social media or without even, you know, realizing until like a half an hour is gone. Any tips to stop that?
1: Firstly, I would say absolutely do not ever blame yourself for doing that or think, oh God, why have I done that again? It's the way the online world is designed. It's designed to hook us in. It's designed to keep us scrolling. So, you know, we are, as I've said in the book, we're lab rats in this big experiment and we are perfectly trained little rats. (laughs) The AI from all these social media platforms has observed our habits and worked out what is going to make us click, what's going to make us scroll. So that's the first thing to remember, that it's a very powerful engine. And, you know, once we get sucked in, self-control, you know, awareness, they're incredibly difficult against this, very sophisticated machine that has been honed over, you know, decades now. So it's about making ourselves conscious, we have to be conscious and not automatic. And sometimes the best way to do that is, you know, by really clunky old fashioned tools, which might be around setting a timer on your phone. So, you know, you might say, right, I'm going to go and check social media, I'm going to scroll, I'm going to set a timer for 30 minutes or 15 minutes, and then it's going to go off. And the chances are the first time it goes off, you're just going to dismiss it and carry on. But you need to keep doing that. You need to keep finding ways. Some people use that rubber band around their wrist technique, don't they, to kind of ping when they're doing something that they they want to stop doing. You need to find what works for you to keep reminding yourself actually, I you know, I've done this longer than I intended. And the, the first thing to do is just be really intentional. How long am I going to do? Every time you pick the phone up, think, how long am I doing this for? What's my purpose? Am I just checking that one email I said I would? Am I just looking at the BBC website? Am I, you know, am I sort of going onto Instagram? So that's what I'm doing And how long am I doing it for? And get into the habit of doing that over and over again. It's like training, it's just like getting fit, it's just like going to the gym. You're doing a couch to 5K for your phone habits. So you start small and you say, every time I pick up the phone, and you're not going to do it 100%, anything like 100%, the first time you try and do this, but I'm going to try and get into the habit of when I pick up the phone. I'm going to tell myself, why am I doing this? You know, stick a post-it note on the phone, obviously it's going to fall off after a while. Change your home screen to something that says, how much time do I want to spend on the phone? And your lock screen, a little reminder. So when you pick it up, it's a kind of visual reminder. Think of all the different ways you can make yourself intentional about your screen use. And be aware that it's not easy it doesn't happen overnight I've been doing it 10 years I'm not perfect <laughs> I still have those moments I pick it up and then you know I get to the end of the journey and I've still been on the phone I haven't looked out the window one of the things I was talking to a group in a workplace about recently was about creativity that the loss of creativity and the staring out the window moments it's worth reminding ourselves sometimes why we don't want to do that scrolling you know what's the behavior we want to move towards not just the Behavior we want to move away from. And the moving towards stuff is about creativity and problem solving. So, you know, you think about all those times you look out the window of a train or you look out the window of a car. And you kind of dream and you go off, that's when our brain is being really creative. That blank sheet of paper, we talk about having a blank sheet of paper, don't we, when we're trying to come up with new ideas, or looking at a space on a wall, a white space. And we need to create those spaces for our brains because that's how we're creative, that's how we solve problems, that's you know, the solution to the thing that's really been bothering us suddenly pops into our head when we're staring out the window on a car journey so I would say you know as well as the tools around being intentional just think what's the behavior I want to replace it with you know do I want to do a bit of daydreaming because actually I'm not coming up with ideas anymore I think that was one of the motivations for me in in going down this whole journey was 10 years ago a little bit more than that I thought actually I'm not having any ideas i've kind of run out of ideas and i thought you know is it just i'm getting older and you run out of ideas but i did have a hunch that it's because i was filling my brain all the time with information and not allowing those pauses and so i did quite a long digital detox for, for three months i've never done one that long since and i cannot tell you the ideas i mean i came back with an idea for a new business i came back with the idea for my first book you know all the things that i do now a lot of them came from that that three months where I just allowed myself to dream. It's what you talk about all the time. Absolutely.
0: Digital detox was actually my next question. One of the things that I think I might have shared that last time when we spoke is I went on a digital detox and I went away for a few days without my phone. And that was so amazing. And that's how I came up with my book,
1: Your Dream Life Starts yes, Here. and I, I had do lots. remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was when you were on my podcast, I think. Yes, yeah, yes, you exactly. About that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: and it's interesting because in the book club it's a personal growth book club we are currently or just started now for april reading um, the happiness plan but it's uh, by the founder of uh, mindful in may which is all about meditation and being mindful and i feel like this goes so hand in hand that's why i wanted to have you on now because i feel like when we are actually going inwards it becomes so much more powerful if you actually take away some of the devices just for certain periods even if it's not a whole complete detox but just to really have time to think because when you meditate you just there's so many amazing ideas that comes up and it's really good to continue that on so maybe you can share a little bit about your digital detox or some tip for anyone wanting to do that while
1: they're doing this um, mindful in may so i think it's really interesting that the mindfulness movement has really boomed in parallel with our adoption of tech and i don't think that's an accident i think it's because we have all realized at some level we're not being mindful And we're not allowing those spaces in our brain. When I did my very first digital detox, that was three months. So it seems really extreme. (laughs) But I felt like, you know, I was running a tech company. I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt I was unable to put down technology. And I felt so much for suffering. You know, I, I said, I've talked about not having any ideas. People telling me that, you know, my children had said I was spending too much time on my phone. I wasn't sleeping. And I thought, you know, I've looked at every other aspect of my life, but I haven't looked at my tech habits. What I suggest to people now is, you know, when you talk to people about doing a digital detox, often they think, well, you know, I can't do a week, I can't do a month, you know, it's unrealistic. So I would say that digital detox is about taking small steps of being screen free. And one of the first things I did before I, you know, did this three month was I walked to the corner shop and left my phone at home which seems, you know, ludicrously simple. But for anyone who's over-connected with their phone, they'll know the anxiety of stepping out of the house without your phone. And it's not rational and it's not, you know, logical. Mine was less than a five-minute walk into the shop, a couple of minutes buying a thing of milk, coming back. You know, nothing was going to happen. The sky wasn't going to fall in. There wasn't going to be an emergency where someone couldn't find me. And yet I felt really anxious doing it. But the more times I did it, the easier it got. So I would say if you're the type of person that's going to find it really difficult to do it for a day, or an hour, do some small steps. Um, So think about all the times in your day when you can carve out mini digital detoxes before you maybe build up to doing a full day. And it's a bit like, you know, couch to 5k again, around digital detox. So you know, can you not check your phone or not have your phone in your bedroom for example overnight or, or maybe try that one night or maybe plug your phone in the opposite side of the room to your bed so that it's more difficult to get out and check it can you leave your you know if you've got a dog or you're going for a walk can you leave your phone at home when you when you do one dog walk can you go out for a drink with somebody locally or the cinema or something that's you know quite contained and leave your device in your car or leave it at home you know think of some, can you go to the gym And leave your phone behind. Can you go out for a run? You know, is there something that you can design in your life that's a small example? And then I would say the most important thing is notice the difference. And you know, before the pandemic, I was actually running retreats where I took people away for long weekends and weeks. And I would tell you with my absolute hand on my heart, not a single person came back from any of those retreats and said, I'm never gonna do that again. You know, that was a waste of time. They all said They could not believe the difference and they've all carried on doing digital detox in some form. So I think the most difficult thing is the first step, because I think people are quite anxious about it. I think, you know, we've been trained to be very reliant on our phones for them to be our permanent companions I can't remember if I've told you this before. I ran a Twitter poll once that said, in the morning, do you touch your partner or your phone first? <laughs> and of course, everyone said their phone. It was a bit of a biased poll, obviously. But, um, you know, they're constant companions. We're never without them. So there's just the thought of being without them, I think is the biggest hurdle in trying a digital detox. When you ask people to think about it, you know, often people absolutely blankly say, I could not do that. And there are people that do incredible things in the rest of their lives incredible challenges but they feel they can't be without their device because they've kind of been conditioned and trained that it's something that has to be with them at all times so try small steps notice how you feel and I absolutely guarantee completely guarantee that if you've done it once successfully for a decent period of time you'll just feel the difference. I mean, it's a kind of a lightening effect where you just feel your head is cleared out a bit. I was telling somebody about, you know, my first job back in my 20s, when my boss used to go away on holiday, we always knew that when he came back from holiday, he would hurl a load of ideas on our desk because he had a week on the beach And, you know, all week doing something and he thought about all these, you know, amazing ideas, new things he wanted to do in the business and he'd come back and he'd say, you know, these are all the projects, these are all the plans. And I noticed, you know, before I set my business up, as I went through kind of life that that was happening less and less because there was this permanent connectivity to the office and people didn't have those eureka moments they didn't have those aha moments it might be the moment that when you go away makes you think actually I don't want to do this job but you know we need to allow ourselves those spaces I think as you say to look inwards to see what's there and some of us haven't looked inwards and checked what's there for a long time
0: yeah, absolutely. I agree, and I also think planes. Now, when you it was one of the places where I I try not to connect. Sometimes I do if I need something, but I try not to connect because it's just such one place where it's just really nice. No one expects you to be connected on an airplane. Still, I don't think. And well, it's really nice. To you have say
1: that. that. I used to say planes <laughs> and churches, Christine. I used to say those are the last bastions, and then planes now you can get wi-fi on planes all over europe so you could you can get on a plane and, and be connected and then i was in a church before the pandemic seriously and the person in front of me had their phone out in the front row and was scratch and i thought okay that's church is gone then clearly it's okay yeah it's really hard for us now to find those spaces so unfortunately we do have to create them for ourselves but we really need it i mean i, I noticed myself that if i haven't spent some time. Off screens, I am running a bit low on ideas and, you know, generally creativity and problems. And, you know, just setting out for a couple of hours without my phone completely clears my head.
0: Yeah, I often take my phone because I like to listen to a podcast, but some mornings I actually just go without listening to anything and it's just so nice and I sometimes start my walk. and go for about 5K in the morning and if I have a challenge, I say to myself, I want to solve that while I walk and it's so nice because if you have your phone, it's often you start writing things down. So I have a little notebook and it just just makes a big difference and it just feels like you have been on a little mini holiday just for that hour one hour I don't do it all the time but when I do I feel really good and especially if I have something that I need to kind of solve
1: yeah I mean we just need to step away don't we sometimes to look at something and with a different perspective and when we're sort of being bombarded all the time 24 7 with notifications with news with entertainment and i'm a bit like you actually i i got into the habit of always listening to a podcast on a walk so my phone was in my pocket but i was listening to the podcast and i love listening to podcasts (laughs) but i thought i'm actually not really appreciating the walk as much so i don't do it all the time sometimes i do you know if the weather's really terrible which quite often is sadly i might have a podcast to distract me but you know if it's a nice day i think well actually i do want to hear the birds singing and i do want to kind of notice what's going on around me so I won't listen to a podcast and take my phone that day for all of us I think it's all about you know being conscious and using intention but stepping away so that we can yeah solve some of the issues that have kind of been bubbling along that need our attention Mm, that was so great. Thank you
0: so much, Tanya, for coming again. I know the last episode was really popular because I think we all need it, so I really, really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'd love to know if you've got any books that you want to rec- one book that you want to recommend. I probably asked you last time for your favorite. I can't remember what you answered, but you can just share one book if you want to because this is one of the highlights for my listeners who love reading books.
1: Gosh, what have I read? So I'm actually sitting in a place where I've got none of my books near me at the moment. Do you know what? I'm going to be terrible, Christina, and actually recommend my own book with apologies to everybody for doing that. But I actually do feel my brain has too many tabs open. I really do feel that there's something in it that can help everybody, no matter what your age, what your stage of life. We're all wrestling with our relationship with technology. We're all feeling that, you know, something is not quite right in, in some of the ways in which we're using devices. And I, I really feel that there are answers in it. So with apologies for suggesting it.
0: I certainly don't have to apologize. I was going to suggest that anyway. Obviously, we're going to link to your book and I will certainly promote it to my community. I think it's a great book and I think we all need it. So I think this is a book for anyone to have when they actually, certain things comes up because I think there's so many different sections. So uh, for anyone listening, it's divided up in loving, living and learning. And I am finishing up How to Be a Good Digital Citizen. And I loved it. And I I read it when you um, first came up with it. And then I reread it uh, for this interview and uh, it was so many things that, I kind of felt like maybe I didn't resonate with me on the first one because I think our life changed and it's a really good book to have. And it's also a really good book to give to someone who are struggling with a nice intention to help them.
1: Yeah, not being too naggy, just a suggestion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I tell you actually who it's quite good for, it's for older teens as well. I think if you really want to equip them with the tools to understand how tech works and how it might be manipulating them and then how they can deal with that i think yeah there could be some really useful useful things in there for them
0: thank you so much i really appreciate it and i look forward to continue talking to you as the technology develops and change and um, and it's so good to have you back so thank you
1: oh thank you very much
0: Wow, that was so inspiring. I am so ready for a digital detox. I am so ready for a digital detox and to tweak some of my and to tweak some of my tech habits. I hope you are too. I would love to hear from I would love to hear what you took out of this session. Please let me know in the Dream Life private Facebook group. If you are not in there yet, I will link to it in the show notes. Also if you resonated with this you may want to join me in Mindful in May. In May we will be meditating 10 minutes a day and watch super inspiring and watch super inspiring meditation experts and I think that this is and I think that is so helpful to be more aware of our tech behaviors as it all starts with awareness. I will link to Mindful in May in the show notes, or you can just go to the dreamlifestore.com and click on the link there. Lots to think about after this episode, no doubt. Have a wonderful week and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in.